Well, God bless you, my beloved. Good morning. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship, coming to you today, the 22nd of December, 2019. We only have about a week left to go in this 2019 year. We'll be in 2020. I'm coming to you with the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord God forever. And ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's how long we'll be with him because we love Jesus. We know Jesus. We've accepted Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior. He's our only hope for salvation. We praise and bless him. We bless his name. We bless the name of the only true God. Jesus said in John 17, Father, you are the only true God. Hallelujah. You must not be ashamed to say that. He is the only true God. Now, there are many gods. The Bible says there are many gods, lowercase g-o-d. There are many gods, but the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jehovah, hallelujah, he's the only true God. Now, Jesus said it. Now, Jesus said it, and we follow him, then that means we have to say the same thing without apology. He's the only true God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. And now we're going to continue talking about what we've been talking about for the last few lessons. Why did Jesus come into the world? Why did Jesus come into the world? Why was Jesus born? Why was he, he born of the Virgin Mary about 2,000 years ago? Why? What was the reason? What was God's grand purpose? Why did God ordain this before the foundation of the world? Why did Jesus come into the world? The answer can be summed up in one passage, and that is 1 Timothy 1.15. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am chief. Paul said, I was, I was the BMOC, big man on campus, when it came to sinners. When it came to sinners, Jesus came into the world to save us from sin. That's it. Um, we can add a bunch of other stuff to it if we want to. The Bible says Jesus came into the world to save us from sin. Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save us from sin because sin had a grip on us because of, of the sin of Adam. The Bible says in Romans 5 and 12, wherefore is by one man sin, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. Wherefore is by one man, right? Death entered, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all, for all have sinned. Wherever, because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, Romans 5.12 mentions Adam, uh, 1 Timothy uh, 2, I believe, 14 mentions uh, Eve. But Romans 5.12 says, Adam, and when the Lord called out in the garden of Eden after they had sinned, he said, Adam, where are you? So we're going we're gonna to focus here on Adam. Wherefore, as by one man, Romans 5, 12, death, um, um, sin came into the world, and death as a result of, if, you, if I can give it my own translation here for a second, my own transliteration, death came into the world, sin came into the world, and death as a result of sin. And so death passed upon all, for all have sinned, even those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's sin. That's Romans 5, 12. Even those of you who are not wicked, there are many of you out there, you're not wicked. You're not a wicked person. You're a nice person. You pay your taxes. You don't bother anybody. You go to work or you're retired. 
or you're too young to work maybe um, you, you don't bother anybody you you, you, you try to observe the golden rule etc but the Bible says that that the curse of sin has passed upon all for all the Bible says have sinned and come short of God's glory so you may not be a wicked person in the sense of a Charles Manson or Adolf Hitler or a Jim Jones or something like that a cult a depraved murderous cult leader a depraved political figure in the sense of an Adolf Hitler a depraved um, um, leader of a, a empire such as Nero Caligula you know the the depraved Roman leaders or you know, Pol Pot you may not be a depraved wicked political religious leader um, Manasseh he ruled for 55 years he was one of the kings of Judah but he was wicked you may not be a wicked person. You may be a nice person. You may act better than a lot of Christians. You probably act better than I do in many cases. But the Bible says that if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you're lost. You're lost. You must trust in Christ for Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I am chief. So don't, don't be deceived into thinking because you're a nice person that you're in tight with God. Don't be deceived into thinking that. But you're, oh, you say, oh, I'm not a wicked person. I, I, didn't, I don't try to kill people. I'm, I don't bother anybody. I don't commit adultery. I, 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 uh, I give to my church or synagogue or mosque or whatever, temple. I, I don't bother anybody. I pay my taxes. I go to work. I don't bother anybody. I'm not a wicked. I'm a nice person. I belong to you know, uh, several fraternal orders and clubs and uh, etc. And I give of all that I possess, and uh, I do this and I do that, and I do such and such and I do such and such. The Bible calls that self righteousness. You're depending upon your own righteousness to be justified in God's sight. Where the Bible says we can only be justified in God's sight by trusting in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what He did for us at Calvary's cruel cross. That's the only way we can be justified in God's sight. I know mankind doesn't want to believe that because we want to believe that we had something to do with our standing before God. We, we want to believe that we had something to do with our salvation. You had nothing to do with your salvation. The Bible says by grace you are saved. If you are saved, you're saved by grace. Now how do we spell grace? G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He has washed it as white as snow. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. So don't trust in your own righteousness. You can be deceived by the devil into trusting in your own righteousness, your own goodness. Paul said it about, about, about his Jewish brethren. He said in Romans chapter 10, he said, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, they've gone about to establish their own righteousness. You see that? They went about to establish their own righteousness. They have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Then he says in Romans 10 and 4, he says, he said, they have a zeal of God, but not according to righteousness. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, they've gone about to establish their own righteousness. Then he said in Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness for all who believe. Jesus Christ is the, the end means the, the, the fulfillment. In this case, the perfect fulfillment. Jesus Christ is the perfect fulfillment 
of the law and the prophets. You know, he mentions the law in Romans 10.4, but he mentions the prophets in Romans 3.21. He says the righteousness of God without the law and the prophets it has been manifested. Even the righteousness of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus took the uh, three apostles, James, John, and Peter, to the Mount of Transfiguration. He was transfigured before them. They saw his glory. They saw the glory that, that resided within his flesh, inside of his flesh. His flesh was a tabernacle that covered his glory for about 33 years. But he took the apostles, James, John, and Peter, to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he was transfigured before them. And they saw his glory. He was, he was, they, they saw the glorified Jesus. They saw the Jesus that we're going to see one day when we behold him. The Bible says we shall behold him, for he shall return to receive us unto himself. He even prayed, Jesus even prayed in John 17, Father, I pray, I will, that they whom you have given me will be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to be with him one day. We're going to see that same glory. But getting back to the Mount of Transfiguration issue, Moses and Elijah appeared before Jesus and started talking with him. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, they appeared in Jesus' presence when he was transfigured. And the, the apostles became afraid, as, as any of us would have been, to, to be there with Jesus transfigured. And all of a sudden, two of the heroes of the faith, Moses and Elijah, appeared. And Peter said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. Let us build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And before Peter could get another word out of his mouth, a voice came from a cloud. Cloud representing the presence of God. The voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. When the apostles looked up again, Moses and Elijah had, had gone. They had gone back to glory. They had gone back to wherever they are, which is in, in glory, whatever their, their, their place is in glory. They had gone back. And no one was left there but Jesus. Glory to the Lamb of God. That whole transfiguration experience was uh, um, it, it's like, a, it's like a metaphor, if you will showing that Christ is the perfect fulfillment of the law for all who believe. We cannot, we, we, we no longer, we, the law was never intended to save us. It was intended to be a schoolmaster, the Bible says. The law was never intended, God never intended the law to be his final solution. Otherwise, he wouldn't have sent his son into the world to die on the cross as though he were a lawbreaker, as though he were a common criminal. God never would have sent his son to die at Calvary's cross to hang between heaven and earth as though he were fit for neither. If the law were going to be the final um, um, solution, no. God's final solution, it says in Hebrews and many other places, in Romans and many other places, God's final solution is his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. Jesus Christ is the perfect fulfillment of the law. For all who believe so we dare not trust in ourselves we dare not trust in our own righteousness we dare not trust in our in the sweetest frame the songwriter said i dare not trust the sweetest frame but wholly lean on jesus name on christ the solid rock i stand all other ground is sinking sand all a-l-l -L, all other ground 
is sinking sand. So we again, we ask the question and we answer the question. Why did Jesus come into the world? Why was he born? We don't know when he was born. We, don't, we, we, we can't say he was born on December 25th. We don't know. We do know he was born. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was born without sin. He was born, the Bible says in, in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ came into the world to save sinners. So now we're going to spend a few minutes here, a little while, talking uh, uh, more specifically about why Jesus came into the world. We know that he came to save us. We know he came to save sinners. What did he come to save us from? He came to save us from sin. He came to redeem us unto himself. He came to give us eternal life. If you've trusted in Jesus, I mean, if you've really trusted in him with all your heart, you have eternal life with him. Let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bless you. We thank you just for the privilege of mentioning your name, the name of your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to whom be glory, power, kingdom, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. We ask that this teaching will be edifying, Lord, building up those in the most holy faith. We pray that if there are those who are not saved, that they will, that their conscience will be pricked and that they will say, I yield, I yield. What must I do to be saved? And our answer would be, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. We pray as a result of this teaching and preaching and teaching all over the world that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit would be manifested according to your good, acceptable and perfect will. We bless you and we praise you and we thank you for the privilege of mentioning your name. Forgive us for our sins, Lord. We know that sin is an offense to you. Help us to walk in righteousness and holiness according to the teaching of thy holy son Jesus and his holy apostles and prophets. To him be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. Amen, amen, and amen. Why, why was Jesus born? Why did he come into the world? Well, he came into the world so we can escape the enslavement to sin. He came into the world so that we could escape the enslavement to sin. Man is a slave to sin. He doesn't want to admit it, but man is a slave to sin because of the sin of Adam and Eve. The Bible says again, going back to Romans 5 and 12, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. Mankind is a slave to sin. If you don't believe me, read the newspaper, look at the news, look at what goes on in the world. Man is a slave to sin. Jesus came into the world to deliver us from the slavery. He, he, came to, he came to deliver us from the plantation of sin. Hallelujah. He came to deliver us from the plantation of sin. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 8, starting at verse 31. Jesus, our Lord, said, to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, if, I-F, one of the biggest words in the Bible, though it only has two letters, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. Notice they were depending on their biological upon their genealogical connection to be justified in God's sight. And John the Baptist had already told them, think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. John the Baptist told them, for God is able to raise up uh, children, of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. See, they were depending on the fact that they were Jewish. 
they were depending on the they were depending on their on their on their Jewishness, if you will. They were depending on their genealogy to be just before God. You can't depend on your genealogy to be just before God. The Bible says the gospel was preached and salvation offered to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. The Bible says those who accept Jesus will have eternal life, the Jew first and also the Gentile. But the Bible says in that same in that same uh, pericope, that same uh, area of passage passages of Scripture, that condemnation will also come to those who reject Jesus, the Jew first and also the Gentile. But there is no respective persons with God. You see that? So you can't depend. The Jew can't depend on the fact that he's a child of Abraham and that he's a child of the covenants made with Moses and David and Samuel the land covenant, the Palestinian covenant, etc. The Jew can't depend on that. The Jew must come through Jesus. The Jew must accept Jesus Christ. There are Jews who have accepted him. They're called, we call them Messianic Jews. I read some of their writings, uh, Arnold Fruchtenbaum, David Levy. These are, these are, these are scholars who, 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 who grew up Jewish and, and who trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And, and we call them Messianic Jews. They, they, they have trusted in Christ for their salvation. There are many other Messianic Jews. There are Messianic Jewish congregations. So the Jew must trust in Jesus as well as the Gentile. The Jew can't say, well, I'm, I'm from the tribe of such and such. That's good enough. I'm a child of Abraham. That's good enough. Jesus said, they said, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Did, did you hear that? How can you say you would be made free? Well, that was not true. They were in bondage. They had been in Babylonian bondage. Bondage. They had been in bondage to the Assyrians. They had been in bondage to the Egyptians for 430 years before Moses delivered them through the hand of God. How could they say they had never been in bondage to anyone? Then Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave. So he wasn't talking about political bondage. He was talking about spiritual bondage. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Did you hear that? Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Only Jesus can free us from the slavery of sin. Only Jesus can give us the mind, the heart, the power to say no to sin. Because sin is so powerful, it's ingrained within us. Did you ever notice you never have to treat, you never have to, you never have to teach children to do wrong? You have to teach them to do right? Did you notice that? You don't have to treat, you, you don't have to teach children to be selfish. You don't have to teach children to be mouthy. You have to teach them to not be selfish, to not be disrespectful, to, to not be mouthy. Why? Because that, that, that seed, that stain of sin is within us from birth. You've, if you've got children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren, or, or great you have to constantly teach them what is right. You have to teach them right. You don't have to teach them to do wrong. They do wrong almost from birth. Why? Because we were all born in sin, the Bible says. We were all shaped in iniquity. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so Jesus said, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. But the only way you can be free is by trusting in what Jesus did at the cross, by trusting in the person of Jesus. 
by saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm all defiled, but I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that the Father bodily raised you from the dead. The Bible says when you do that, you will be eternally saved and you will begin your journey to saying no to sin and yes to righteousness, which is in uh, Jesus Christ, God's dear son. The Christian does not sin, the mature Christian, I'll say, does not sin as a habit. A mature Christian will never reach total perfect, per, perfection until we are glorified, until we uh, reach our glorified body when the Lord uh, returns for us. But the mature Christian does not hint sin as a lifestyle, as a habit. The mature Christian, the mature Christian, the mature Christian does not sin as a lifestyle, as a habit. The mature Christian wants to be more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world. Jesus said, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. You see that, Jesus? He acknowledged that. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Do you see that? They sought to kill him because God's word, even though many of them were religious leaders, God's word had no place in their hearts. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Did you hear that? Who is he talking about when he says you, you, you do what you, you you do the commands of your father? He wasn't talking about God. He, he's going to go on and say in John eight forty four, "You are of your father the devil." That's a very powerful statement. Jesus couldn't pastor many churches today because he wasn't politically correct. He spoke the truth to power because he is power. He is the truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes unto the Father except through him. He says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. And now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we, have, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came forth from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. He's speaking to those who had religion, but they didn't have righteousness. They rejected Jesus as, the, as our Savior. Then he makes the statement in John 8:44, You are of your father, the devil. In the book of Revelation, he called those Jews who were persecuting the church, he called them the synagogue of Satan. Jesus couldn't pastor many churches today. Because he's not preaching a mealy-mouthed, panty-waist, watered-down gospel. He's preaching the truth of the gospel. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents. Notice how Jesus, as the living word, as the word become flesh, Jesus is discerning the thoughts and the intents of their hearts. He says, you're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He knew they wanted to kill him. He says, the desires of your father, the devil, you want to do. He was a murderer, talking about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's the one who instigated Cain to kill Abel. Cain was the first murderer. Cain killed Abel. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar. Jesus called the devil Satan, Lucifer, the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. He called him a liar. He says he's a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. 
He was speaking to these people who had religious, they, they, they had the religious outward trappings of righteousness. But Jesus said, just like you go to the cemetery and see nice marble tombs, gravestone. But he said, if you, if you dig deeper and go into the graves, there's all kind of corruption and deadness and maggots and worms. Jesus in, in Matthew 23, he said the same thing about these religious hypocrites. He said, you appear righteous to men. He said, you're just like a nice sepulchre. The, the old King James Version would use the word sepulchre. But I'm going to use a more modern word. You're just like a nice tomb, tombstone. You're just like a nice grave. On the, if you go to the cemetery even now, you'll see these nice graves. They're all nice, and some people keep up their relatives' tombstone, and they look all white and pure, and they got flowers next to them, maybe an American flag if the person was a veteran, etc. But if you go into the tomb, especially if the person's been there a while, you go into the grave, there's all kind of corruption there. And Jesus said, you religious hypocrites, you're the same way. You appear to men to be righteous, and to the undiscerning, you are righteous. But Jesus said, I'm the word of God. I discern your motives. I discern your thoughts. I discern your intents. And I know that you're full of corruption because you're of your father, the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And you are a bunch of liars and murderers because you want to murder me. And eventually he would submit himself to them. Eventually, he would submit himself to them and allow them to turn him over to the Romans to be crucified. Why? For your sins and my sins. Why did Jesus come into the world? So we could escape the enslavement to sin. Why did Jesus come into the world? Next reason, so we can learn the true meaning of love. Why did Jesus come into the world? So we can learn the true meaning of love. Now I'm going to read to you from the love chapter, what we call the love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13. And I want, I want to ask you do, you, hear, do you hear the person of Jesus Christ when I read 1 Corinthians 13 to you? I want you to listen. I want you to listen with a spiritual ear. Do you hear how Jesus feels about us when I read 1 Corinthians 13? Again, Christ came into the world so he could save us from the enslavement to sin. That's reason number one. Reason number two, Christ came into the world so that we could learn the true meaning of love. We, we don't know what love is until we've experienced God's love. We don't really know what love is. That love, that word is being bounced around all over the place. We, we don't know what true love is until we've experienced God's love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, through Jesus, might be saved. So God loved us. And the sad thing about it, most people reject his love. Fools reject real love. God loves us. He sent his son. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? God so loved the world. He gave his son to be brutally murdered, lynched on a cruel Roman cross for you and for me. Yet we reject that love. We rather have some superficial, some fleshly, temporary love. You know, Greek have, the Greek has several words for love, agape, philios, eros. We'd rather have eros love, which is erotic love, sexual love. And sexual love is beautiful. Sex is God's idea. But we'd rather have sexual love, eros love, 
than agape love. The agape love is that pure love that, that Paul is going to talk about here in 1 Corinthians 13. We reject agape love because we'd rather cling to illicit eros, erotic love. They're basically, again, three Greek words for love. Eros, agape, and philios. Philios is love is where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Philadelphia, Adelphi, the brethren. Philios, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. We reject God's agape love so that we can fellowship in Philios love because we'd rather drown ourselves in Eros love. Glory to the Lamb of God. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 13. I'm sure you're already familiar with it, but let me read to you and I may make a couple of comments and then we'll make a few more comments and then we'll close. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying to the Corinthian Christians. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you what Paul says. He's going he's gonna to give these definitions of love. And as you listen to these definitions, I want you to ask yourself, is that Jesus? And if it's Jesus, then I want you to ask yourself, am I, have I received that love of God? Or have I rejected it because I'm so in love with eros love, erotic love? Am I so in love with my pornography? Am I so in love with my fornication, with my adultery? Am I, am I so in love with erotic love that I've rejected the agape love, the philios love that God offers to us? Listen to what he says here. You can join with me if you want to. I'm in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Now, who's more patient than God? I, I always like to say God is not patient. He is patience. He's, he is He is patience. God, God, God is not patient. He is patience. I like to say God is not love. God doesn't love. He is love. And that's just a personal saying that I have. Love is patient. Jesus is patient. Look at Jesus and the woman at the well in John chapter 4, how he patiently ministered unto her. And as she steadfastly resisted him and how she steadfastly built walls of social and gender and political uh, arguments against Jesus and how he patiently, patiently, patiently tore down those walls because of his love for her. Love is kind. Now, can you find a kindness greater than the kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I didn't say me. You're going to find Christians who are not kind or who are not kind all the time all the time. I'm talking about Jesus because you're supposed to be looking unto Jesus because he's the author and the finisher of your faith. If you're a believer, love is kind. Love is not jealous. You see, love is not jealous. Now, God says I'm a jealous God and he is because he says I don't want you worshiping any idols beside me. But that's for our benefit because God knows those idols can't benefit us. The Bible calls them dumb idols. You know, Paul said, you know, you were carried away at one time with these dumb idols. Dumb idols can't help us. Elijah said it before he destroyed the 850 um, false prophets, the Baal prophets who were eating at Jezebel's table. 
He said, these idols, they can't help you. And I'll prove it. He proved it at Mount Carmel. He said, they must be asleep. They must be going on vacation because they can't burn up the sacrifice. Then he said, pour water on the sacrifice about four or five times. Then he called on the only true and living God. And God, the only true and living God, licked up the sacrifice with fire. The God who answers by fire. That's the God that we serve, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when God says he's jealous, he's jealous for us because he loves us so much. He knows those idols are not going to help us. Love does not brag. Did Jesus brag? No, he, he, he gloried in the Father. The Bible says he who boasts, let him boast, let him glory in God. Jesus boasted in the Father. My Father, my Father, my Father, my Father. It says love is not arrogant. Jesus is not arrogant. The Bible says in, 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 in the what we call the kenosis, when Jesus came and it says in Philippians, he, he knew he was God, but yet he did not, it was not something that he tried to grasp at. He didn't have to because he knew who he was. But the Bible says in that Philippians passage, he made himself of no reputation. See, a person, person who's arrogant, who's bragging, they're going to make themselves of reputation. They're going to say, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. They're going to try to make them, themselves of a reputation so they can get followers on social media or whatever. Or if they score a touchdown, they're going to do a dance in the end zone and pound their chest. You, you, you see a lot of that in sports, right? The braggadociousness of, look at me, I just caught an eight-yard pass. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay, thank you. I, I caught an eight-yard pass 50 years ago. You cut, the, the guy caught an eight-yard pass, and he's, 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 you know, he's, he's, he's twerking or whatever. The Bible says love is not arrogant. Love does not brag. Jesus was full of humility. He humbled himself and came obedient unto death. What death? Even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things in heaven and things in earth. Oh, watch this. And things under the earth. Glory to the Lamb of God. That every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord. To the glory of, listen, to the glory of God the Father. Not to the glory of men to the glory of God the Father. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. When Jesus came, the Bible says that he came to seek sinners to save them. The Bible says, again, going back to the Philippians chapter, what we like to call the kenosis, the emptying. Jesus emptied himself of his royal outward splendor and became a lowly servant, became a, a carpenter's son. Legally, he was Joseph's son, though not biologically. Legally, he became a carpenter's son. Legally, biologically, he became a peasant woman's son. They were, they were poor. They couldn't even give the regular offering. Here, this man, Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, the word, hallelujah. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. A lowly servant. Uh, he said, I'm meek and I'm lowly in heart. Take my, take, my, take my burden upon you. Learn of me. He said, I'm meek and I'm lowly in heart. He became flesh and walked the dusty roads of Palestine for about 33 years. And then he said, no man's going to take my life from me. Now it's going to look like they're taking my life from me. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down and I take it again. Jesus said, I've received this commandment from my father. I've received this commandment from my father. I've received this authority. 
from my father. They're basically two Greek words that mean authority, ex exousia and, and dunamis. Exousia is the authority that a person or uh, an entity exercises and can give to another. Then dunamis is, from, is where we get the word dynamite. It's that dynamite power that Jesus gave his apostles on the day of Pentecost. Jesus said, I've received this power, this authority from my father. Hallelujah. Love is not provoked is not is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness why would jesus rejoice in unrighteousness no jesus is righteousness the bible says in hebrews chapter one a scepter of righteousness is the scepter you know a scepter is that staff that a king or a queen would hold and in the in the in the in the ancient time, you couldn't approach the king or the queen unless they pointed their scepter at you. Otherwise, you would lose your head. That's why Esther, Queen Esther, said, "If I perish, let me perish. I'm going to see the king." In other words, if he doesn't point his scepter at me, I'm still going to see the king. Jesus, the Bible says, a scepter of righteousness is the scepter or the ruling standard. Hallelujah, is the scepter of his kingdom. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, rejoice, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Can you hear our Lord Jesus Christ here? Can you hear our Lord Jesus Christ? Is not easily provoked. Bears all things. Bears off. Love bears all things. Love is long-suffering. Long, love is supernaturally patient. How long has the Lord been waiting on you to either get saved or to mature as a Christian? How long has the Lord been waiting on me to mature in areas in my life? Notice the patience of our Lord Jesus Christ. Read about the seven churches in Revelation, how he had to rebuke five of those churches. And yet, he, even though he rebuked them, he also had oh, kind words to say about all of them except Laodicea. And even with Laodicea, he gave them instructions on how they could get right. Did you hear that? Bears all things. Notice how the Lord bears with all the foolishness that we that we that we commit, even as Christians, even we fight over insignificant things and we 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 support immoral, you know, political figures in the name of Jesus. Notice how he bears all things. It says love believes all things. All things that is that not just any old lie, but love believes all things that will eventually glorify God. Love doesn't just believe anything. That's not what that scripture is saying. But love believes all things that are holy. Hopes all things. Watch this. Endures all things. Love endures all things. Now who who was that man who endured the cross? Oh, oh his name is Jesus. Hallelujah. The Bible says he despised the shame, but he endured the cross because he saw the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, the cross invented by the Persians and the Phoenicians, but perfected by the Romans. He endured the cross for his sins. No, there's no sin in Jesus. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, then why was Jesus on that Roman cross hanging between heaven and earth as though he were fit for neither? He was on that cross for your sins for your iniquities and for my sins and for my iniquities. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, 
endures all things. He endured the cross. The Bible says he despised the shame. He despised it. It was such an offense to him, I'm sure, because he's so holy and harmless and undefiled. And here he is being treated like a common criminal, being treated like he was the scum of the earth, being treated like he wasn't even fit to walk the earth, to, to walk the streets of the earth. And here he is enduring those things, taking our place, taking our sins upon himself as though he were a common sinner. The, the Romans didn't even crucify their own citizens. Crucifixion was for the lowest of scum. They didn't even crucify their own citizens. And here this man is, Jesus, the son of the living God, Yeshua HaMashiach, Joshua the Messiah, the promised one, the one promised by the prophets, the, the fulfillment, the perfect fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And here he is on the cross for our sins. Love never fails. Here the word fails means ends. Love never ends. True love never ends. Not true love. Love never fails. True love never ends. But if there are pro prophecy, they will be done away eventually. If there are tongues, they will eventually cease. They haven't yet, but they will. Prophecy has not ceased yet, but it eventually will. There will be no need for it eventually. If there is knowledge, it will be done away eventually. There will be no need for a knowledge base anymore because we'll be in the presence of the Lord. There won't be the need for uh, to read Jeremiah and the prophets and the apostles and the writings, the Psalms, etc. There won't be a need anymore because we'll be in the presence of him who is the fulfillment of all prophecy, Jesus Christ. The Bible says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The time will come when we won't need to prophesy anymore. The time will come when we won't need to speak in tongues anymore. The time will come when we won't need to seek knowledge through Bible study anymore. But that time has not yet come. It says tongues will eventually cease. They haven't ceased yet. If there is knowledge, it will be eventually done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as also I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so the Lord came to save us so that we would know what true love is. True love, true love, agape love. Agape love, which leads us to engage in filios love, brotherly love, have, have love for the brethren. That's filios love, where we get the word Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Adelphia, Adelphi, the brethren, filios love. So love of the brethren, Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. But unfortunately, as I said, and then I'll move on, we, we rather cling to Eros love because that makes us feel good. It gives us certain feelings in certain parts of our body. We worship Eros love. The world is telling us and demanding that we worship Eros love, erotic love. The world isn't, the world isn't trying to tell us, encourage us to, to um, worship agape love. Because agape love is that love of God that I just read to you in 1 Corinthians 13. That's why Christ came into the world, to offer us agape love so that we could fellowship with filios love and not be slaves to eros love. All right. 
Why did Christ come into the world so we could be with Jesus for eternity? Why did Christ come into the world so that we could be with Jesus? How long? For eternity. Very familiar passage of scripture. I'll read it to you. I'll expound on it for a few minutes and then I'll move on and then I'll close. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13, the apostle Paul who wrote about half the New Testament He's speaking because there were, there were there were rumblings in the church. They were they were wondering, well, what about those who have already died? When Jesus comes back, what about them? So Paul had to address that issue. So it says in First Thessalonians four, beginning at verse thirteen. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, or some Bibles, the older Bibles will say ignorant. We do not want you to be ignorant. We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Asleep is a term that's used for Christians. Asleep. As though we had fallen asleep. As though we're sleeping until Jesus comes to awaken us. As though Lazarus was asleep and Jesus said, Lazarus, get up. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Glory to the Lamb of God. A person who doesn't know Jesus, they don't have this messianic hope. They don't have this hope. How could they? They don't know him who is hope, right? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Did you hear that? He keeps using that word, that term, fallen, in, fallen asleep, fallen asleep. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So this is not just Paul's opinion. It's not just his philosophical musings. He didn't get this from Greek or Roman philosophy. He says, we say this by the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, again, I told you there was a question there. Where people were wondering, when my grandmother died believing in Jesus, what about her? And so Paul is addressing that right here. He says, those of us who are alive when Jesus comes back, we will not precede or go before those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, then he, he, he's gonna, he, he gives the order of what's going to happen. Sometimes the Lord will send people to do things. The word apostle means one who is sent, uh, especially called missionary. A prophet is one who is sent to the people from God. The priest goes to God on behalf of the people. The prophet goes to the people on behalf of God. So there were times when God would send out apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to do things. But I like what 1 Thessalonians says. It says the Lord himself. Glory. He's not going to send me to do this because I'm not worthy to do this. He's not going to send you because you, you, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Hallelujah. Where is he going to descend from? Heaven. Well, how can he descend from heaven? He died. I thought he was dead. No, he rose from the dead, walked the earth for 40 days, and then ascended back to the right hand of the Father, the right hand of the majesty on high, where he now sits as our great high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, waiting until his enemies become his footstool. For the Lord himself, not Moses, not Ezekiel, not Jeremiah, not David, not Samuel, not Adam, not Eve, not Mary, not Micah, not Habakkuk, not you, not me. 
the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. He's going to send a shout out. <laughs> Hallelujah. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ. I want you to remember that. The dead in Christ. I want you to remember that. Not the dead Baptists, not the dead Presbyterians, not the dead Episcopalians, not the dead Catholics, not the dead Jehovah's Witnesses, not the dead full gospel, not the dead, dead uh, this, that, this, that, and the third, Methodist, Kojic, the dead in Christ. Those who died knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If your grandmother died knowing Christ, he's talking about her. If your grandfather died a believer in Jesus, He's talking about him. If your child died prematurely, believing in Jesus, he's talking about your child. The dead in Christ, not the dead religious people, not the dead religious hypocrites, not the dead who have a form of godliness but deny its power thereof. No, the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. Remember, he's answering that question about what's going to happen to the dead. What about my great-grandmother who died, you know, uh, um, uh, and she believed in Jesus? He's answering that question right here. The dead in Christ will arise first. Then we who are alive and remain, because there will be people, believers, the church, there will be people alive when Jesus returns. We don't know when he's going to return. I wish these people would stop setting dates. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know, right? We who are alive and remain will be caught up what we call the rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but the concept of it is. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. With who? With those dead who rose from the dead, like Lazarus. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. To meet the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. To meet the Lord in the air. That's why the old preacher used to say there's going to be a great camp, meet, camp meeting in the air. There it is. He's talking about that passage right there. To meet the Lord in the air. So the dead in Christ will rise first. And with new bodies. So if your grandmother died of a stroke. Or your mother died of breast cancer. Or your aunt died of cervical cancer or your grandfather died of a heart attack. That corruptible body, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that corruptible body is going to put on an incorruptible body. That mortal body is going to put on an immortality. Hallelujah. I won't need these glasses anymore. Hallelujah. My left knee, my left hip, which might need to be replaced soon. Glory to the Lamb of God. Not when Jesus comes back. There won't be any knee replacements. Not, not the kind that Emory University does. Or, you know, resurgence orthopedic. No, sir. No, sir. Paul said the, this mortal will put on immortality. This corruptible shall put on incorruptible. It doesn't matter when it happened. Your great-grandmother who believed in Jesus and she was buried in 1926. A new body. The Bible says we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. We're going to put on that same glorified body, a new body. No more aches and pains. No more arthritis. Arthur's not going to ride us anymore. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We who are alive and remain will be caught up 
together with them in the clouds to meet in, to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always, circle that word, always. So we shall always be with the Lord. Paul said we ought to comfort one another with these words. We, we got to comfort one another because we're living in perilous times. We got to comfort one another with these words of hope. Love is hope. Remember we read in 1 Corinthians 13, love is full of hope. Hope's all things. I believe in the second coming of Jesus. All true Christians believe in the second coming of Jesus. We may have some differences about pre-tribulation, post, you know, mid-trib. We, we may have differences there. But all true Christians believe in the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why did Christ come into the world? To save us from the enslavement of sin so we could be so we can learn the true meaning of love so we could be with Jesus for eternity. And then I'm going to close with the last one. Christ came into the world so we could escape the coming wrath of God. Christ came into the world so we could escape the coming wrath. And it's coming. Just because people don't believe it, that doesn't mean it's not so. You don't have to believe I'm wearing glasses. It doesn't mean I'm not wearing glasses. You don't have to believe it's cloudy out here. Now, if you're in Georgia, up here in North Georgia, up near Atlanta, you don't have to believe it's cloudy outside. It doesn't mean it's not cloudy outside. There are times I'll say things to my grandson. I'll say, he'll say, is it morning time, Papa? I'll say, it's morning time. And he'll say, no, it's afternoon. See, he, he, he asked me, is it morning? And I said, it was morning. And then he contradicted me. It doesn't mean it's not morning. So, so there are people who don't believe in that, that the wrath of God is going to be poured out. It doesn't mean it. The Bible says, let God be true and let every man be a liar. I'm going to read to you from the second letter of Paul the Apostle to the Thessalonian Christians. Those same Christians from 1 Thessalonians where I just read. This is the second letter. They were having problems. There were fake, fake news, if you want to call it. There were fake letters going out. People were saying that they were writing uh, that they were writing on behalf of Paul, etc. And they were lying. They were sending lies into the church. So let me read to you from 2 Thessalonians, and then we'll close. This is gonna Paul is gonna talk about the wrath of God, which will come upon the enemies of the cross, the enemies of the gospel. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's typical greeting to churches. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it is only fitting because of, the, of your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. They were being persecuted, they were being afflicted by unbelievers, especially unbelieving Jews, those Jews whom Jesus called in Revelation, he called them the synagogue of Satan. Listen to what Paul is going to say right here. This is a, a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. In other words, God's going to bring judgment on these people who are persecuting you so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are indeed suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. It's what we call the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God. So if you know Jesus, you don't have to worry about this. If you've trusted in Christ for your salvation, you don't have to worry about this right here. He's talking about those who are persecuting you. He's talking about those unbelievers who are persecuting the church, whether they be Jewish or Gentile. It says to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. He's saying they're going to be eternally separated from God because they don't know Jesus. They, they refuse to accept the gospel. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always that our God would count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, he said, Paul said, God is going to repay those who are troubling you. Now let me read a passage from chapter 2 and then I'll close, I'll be done. Remember when the Bible was originally written, it didn't have chapters and verses. So this chapter two is really a continuation of what we call chapter one. Now we request you brethren with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. Ah, remember what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, we're gonna be gathered to him. The dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. He says, now we request you brethren with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. He says that you do not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit. Just as the Holy Spirit ministers unto us, there are demon spirits who try to trouble us, who try to deceive us. They've already got the world deceived and now they're trying to deceive the church. He says, do not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us. Remember I said there were false, there were fake news. There were false letters being circulated with Paul's supposed signature on them. Paul says these fake letters are saying, are coming and saying that the day of the Lord has come. He said, let no one in any way deceive you. The day of the Lord will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Apostasy means a falling away from the faith. Unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness, whom we commonly call the Antichrist. Paul says, the day of the Lord, that day of God's wrath that's spoken of in the book of Revelation, beginning with chapter 6 especially, the man of lawlessness, this day cannot come unless the apostasy comes first. We even see it now today, people falling away from the truth of the gospel, believing all kind of lies that we can't go into right now. He says that day will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. 
See, nobody knows who 666 is now, but in that day, you will know who he is because he's going to reveal, he's going to reveal himself. He's, Paul is going to say that he's, on, he's an apostle of Satan. He will be a messenger of Satan, just as Jesus was the messenger of God, the son of God. The Antichrist will be the messenger of Satan. He's going to say that in a few verses. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it would not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Your Bible might say perdition. Remember the Bible called Judas? Jesus said, of all, the, all you've given me,